there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, here's the guy that can bring sanity to the microbiome. Yes, that's right, Dr. Rasha Batari is with us. My friend, how are you? Good, Robert, how are you? Okay, doing well. Fired up a bit. We've got a lot of topics to cover, including more flu shot madness and paralysis, and we've got questions of the day related to psoriasis, and uh, well, I think... Uh, well, well, we'll get to those in the later bottom of the hour, I think. But first and foremost, I want to I want to talk with you about that concept of the microbiome. And also, by the way, my aunt Ruthie was visiting from London, visiting my mom. They came down to visit with my nephew, and the first thing she grabbed off of my shelf was your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Now, you understand, Aunt Ruthie is a gifted hands-on healer. She's a, she's very renowned in in England. And she's drawn to things, so it's not by accident. She started, she opened it up, and she didn't stop reading it the entire time. In fact, she didn't give it back. So my copy of The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away is on the way to London with my Aunt Ruthie, just so you know. Thanks a lot. Well, that's very, very uh, nice to hear, actually. So you probably never read it anyway. Yeah, I know. It's like I'm tied, you know. Like, what do I care what Dr. Batar writes? No, no, you know how much I appreciate that. And it, and it does hit the concept of the terrain. Now we're hearing about the microbiome everywhere. And there was a big article over the weekend from New York Times saying, there is no such thing as a healthy microbiome. It's a guy that was writing like a backlash piece because everybody's moving into this understanding of the microbiome and how it's the panacea. And we're not into panaceas here. We do recognize that a healthy microbiome is a good thing to have, but we also know that it's not just about, oh, let's put some good bacteria in there or do a fecal transplant. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just like anything else, Robert. The, the, genera- the generalities are universal, and somebody will pick up a new spin for the day, and they take it and exhaust it, and then they go on to something new. It's a new butterfly, a new color, a new flashy thing. I mean, the, the whole concept, the biome, the, the microbiome, and if you think of the whole aspect of the train that you've talked about, that I've talked about for literally, uh, not an exaggeration, decades now, Yes, it's basically the same component that you have to have balance throughout the system. And, you know, when people say, well, I have this yeast issue, and I, you know, one of the things I ask them, well, how do you know you have a yeast issue? Well, because I have all these symptoms, and then when I tell them that, well, you know, yeast is, a certain amount of yeast is normal inside the gut, and they're they're just appalled. They're, how can that be? I mean, how can you even <laughs> say that? That's or, or like when you explain to uh, people that the bacteria, that, that the reason they get a yeast infection, a woman that will get a yeast infection is because the bacterial counts have decreased. It may not just be that there's an overflow of the yeast or overgrowth of the yeast. It's actually that the good bacteria or the balance of the bacteria has been inhibited due to the use of an antibiotic, which then threw off the balance, just like in a forest or you know, in, in some type, in, in a natural terrain, just like you would in a forest, you kill off all the squirrels and kill off all the rabbits, then you're not going to have the foxes aren't going to have enough food to eat. And so mm-hmm. they'll um, uh, start to starve. And when they start to starve, then they die off. And then all of a sudden the rabbit and the squirrel population will flourish 
because there's no predator now to keep it in check. And so then you have the squirrels and the rabbits eat all the foliage, and so you have a complete disarray and an imbalance, and then all sorts of catastrophic things occur. And so when people in the dumpkin, I'm talking in generalities. That's why I kind of went off the microbiome thing, but just talking in no, generalities. No, it, it, it's good. And Dr. Batar, yeah, you know, when they see the foxes die in that scenario you just painted, that picture, they'll say, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, an Ebola fox disease. And they'll look for yeah. a vaccine for that instead of recognizing, oh, my God, the foxes have no food. Right, exactly. That's a very, very good point. It, it, it's easy to attribute the cause of any um, imbalance and, and to create whatever cause you want and blame it for the, the observation of whatever is occurring at that time. So it's a great opportunity for the um, the system to create any type of illusion that they want because there's nobody really there to refute it. So right. you know one of the one of the things that you've always said that I've always liked when you refer to the people that go around blaming viruses for problems, you call them the virus hunters. Right. And I think that this is a, that type of a scenario. They're looking for. Anything that they, whatever their agenda is, they will use that agenda. They will use whatever they want. They want to promote a vaccine. They want to promote this, that, the other drug, whatever. They'll use that. And the observation that's occurring, i.e. the foxes starving because there's not enough food or, or the, there's not enough foxes and now the overgrowth of the squirrel and rabbit populations killing off all the foals, then they'll say, well, it's because of some type of beetle that's out there that's eating all the foals. Well, again, they can, there's nobody to counteract. There's nobody to correct and say, hey, wait a second. Well, there are some people like us, you and I, but, you know, we're small little peas <laughs> in the pod. Small the fries. Big, big big, you're big yeah. for a small fry, though, Dr. Batar. Well, but the thing is that, you know, it's easy for those that can be manipulated to be manipulated. And the only way to, the only antidote for that is knowledge. Once you're empowered with knowledge, then you can't be a victim and you can't, uh, you're not going to be susceptible to all the misinformation that's being perpetuated. And really comes down to this whole aspect when a woman understands over anybody understands that wait a second that it's not that this yeast is overgrowing and I have a yeast problem it's actually that my good bacteria has already or the balance of my bacteria has been thrown off and that allowed the opportunistic i.e. the third toxicity opportunistic yeast in this mm-hmm. case to flare up oh that's why I have the yeast issue and you know I think one of those questions that's going to come up at the bottom of the hour that the, the listener question that you sent me right before we started the show kind right. of comes right back to this point so we'll bring it up when when we get to that point yeah i think i think so and listen it, it's a hard thing to overcome programming you know if you've been programmed one way a belief system is ingrained in your dna and and particularly if you uh let's say strengthen that wrong programming by going to medical school right you, you you've got this deep record groove for those of you old enough to remember records that that just keep you in this rut and it's very hard to leap out and see beyond the virus causation hypothesis of disease much less the bacterial causation hypothesis now we don't dispute that bacteria can breed and grow and cause what they call infection but is it really the cause or is it the result of the terrain that allows it to overgrow its normal balanced state like you said dr batar there's yeast in the body there's bacteria all over in fact we were learning more and more about how we rely upon all of that in that whatever that healthy balance is for you and this comes back to this individual bio-individual uniqueness right we may have common factors with all of us like there's nobody yet that we've discovered that doesn't need a properly functioning liver to live to survive to thrive but we all then can say well we don't want to assault that liver so we should eat clean foods but the 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 makeup of the microbiome may be a little bit unique for each and every one of us 
yeah, the biological individuality and the genetic uniqueness of, of each of us has a, a great, great impact on how we respond to the environmental trigger that we're exposed to. Uh, and I agree with everything you said, except for the very first part, when you said about the, you know, going to medical school then, you know, locks us into this thought pattern. I, I would disagree with that. I think that, uh, yes, they may be more prone to being locked in there, but then how would you make... Uh, accommodation for uh, anomalies like myself and many other colleagues that, you know, like yourself and other people that mm-hmm. have gone through the healthcare. So I don't think you can really, that, that's that's a cheap way of, like, giving doctors an out that, you know, it's, it's hard for them to think of that. Oh, no, no. You know, I, you you know, I, I was I was with you in saying how how unique it is, just like you just said. The anomalies are the ones that leap out of it and go, I can see through it. I can see that the emperor wears no clothes. And that's such a, a rare thing even today as it becomes more and more apparent and obvious that that kind of training is so limited and wrong-headed in so many ways. So uh, not trying well, to give the docs a way out. Yeah, well, uh, good. I'm, I'm glad because, you know, I, so many times I've gotten these accolades and I have to look at people and tell them. I remember at a conference in, in Los Angeles, and, and I have to tell the, the audience, because, I mean, I literally had somebody that was trying to kiss my feet, Robert. It was the most embarrassing thing. and. And the thing was, I looked at this this family. They were from uh, they were from uh, another part of the world. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I talked. I was talking to a doctor, and I said, "You know, it's embarrassing that I'm being held to this high status, where whereas in fact that everyone should be. I mean, this is just basic stuff. I'm just doing what my job is. It's the the only reason I look so good is because everybody else is so freaking incompetent. <laughs> and so I think that yeah. I think that this incompetence aspect to give them an mm-hmm. excuse for the incompetence. I think that we we do it an injustice. I've been told that I need to have more compassion for doctors. I, I disagree. I think that every one of us, when we go in there, we have the same uh, information that's given to us. And why are ninety five or ninety eight percent of them? they allow themselves to be brainwashed. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think they are brainwashed. I think they know the truth. I think most of them realize the fallacy of what they're doing. That's why they're miserable as a, as a general rule. And, you know, again, I agree with everything you said, except for I felt like you were giving the docs an out, and, and that I'm no, tired that, of Well, if I gave that out. impression, definitely not. I, I was really slamming them to say, you know, these guys and gals get locked in, and they don't tend to overcome that intense, let's say, indoctrination. And the rare ones that do are a bright, shining light to me. But like you said, it's not to be worshipped. It's to say, if they can do it, if Dr. Batar can do it, what the hell's wrong with everybody else? Well, and, and believe me, that Dr. Batar and all these other doctors that are doing good work, they're not, they're not anything special. It's just that they're, they're surrounded by incompetence. So when you're surrounded by incompetence, you just tend to look better. <laughs> yeah, well, we see it certainly in the higher institutions, like considered that way anyway, NIH. CDC, WHO, where they have such an agenda that, that anybody that would dare put their head up above them, that mediocrity, that purposeful mediocrity of not understanding the real reason that disease occurs, uh, they will keep you in line by saying, you know, if you raise that head up about, above that, you're gone, you're out of here, and so then they'll control yeah. you economically. Well, that's true, and that's exactly what they have done. And if you show that there is a successful model, you can be successful and help patients, then they come down on you and rain your parade as big as they can. Uh, that's exactly what they did. I think that my, my biggest mistake was to show the success that we were having in, in the practice because, you know, mm-hmm. we're building the new building, we're building you know, the largest integrated medical center in the United States. It just was showing too much success because patients are getting better. It's showing a business vibe, uh, a viable business model. 
And right. that was too much for the system to be able to handle, so they just shot it down. Yeah, and that's a very important point here in that uh, the fear of, uh, uh, let's say, economic reprisal as such, they tried to make an example of you, as they have for many others that have stood up and said, here, look at me, this is what I'm doing. And you did it not for self-accolades, but because you wanted to show the world that it's possible to reverse the damage from vaccines into the autism spectrum and bring them out like you did your son. If you haven't read the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, you will get the not only the sense, but the practicality of how to unwind this or rewind it and start over fresh and new and healthy. Stick around. We're going to do a lot more together, including discussion about the flu shot that may have paralyzed another child. What can be done about it? Dr. Batar is here to let us know. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Loads of ways to listen to the Robert Scavell Show archives, all free for you. And right here on our syndicator, GCN, of course, through nationalnewsradio.com. If you want to hone in on the Dr. Batar Advanced Medicine Medical Rewind segments, you can go to medicalrewind.com. Again, all of these things are linked up in the show notes each and every day at robertscottbell.com. And Dr. Batar, another case. Remember years ago, you and I, it went viral around the world, no pun intended, when we covered the story with you on my show this was long before we started our, our, our weekly journey together here with um, Advanced Medicine, the uh, case of the Washington Redskins cheerleader and the dystonic reaction to a flu shot, and that just suddenly just charted everywhere. Now, more stories coming out. Last year, evidently, a mom is now uh, blaming her daughter's paralysis on a flu shot she got when she was nine years old, and I think about this seriously. My daughter is nine Going on 10, of course, nine and a half, and I'm thinking, can you imagine? And you've had a, a child that was vaccine injured. It's just hard to conceive of this that's going on out there. Yeah, it's unfortunately a lot more than what we hear in the media, Robert. I think that every now and then somehow somebody will get on the media and they create a story about it, but I think it's far, far more prevalent because after that particular case and after the 2020 piece that was done, we had literally cases crawling out of the woodwork, patients from all over the world with very similar types of uh, symptoms, similar type of history, similar type of scenarios occurring to a greater or to a lesser degree, but all with the same type of uh, issues, ataxic gait, uh, Mm -hmm. fogginess, inability to focus dystonic uh, type response, inability to articulate, mm-hmm. and all these different components, all post-vaccine flu shot. Uh, most of them were flu shots. Some of them were other types of uh, vaccinations, but most of them were flu shots. And all of them, to, the, to a general extent, at least the majority, the vast majority of them had actually had a flu shot in the past before and didn't have any problem, then had another one, and the second or third one is what caused it. In fact, they even with it, the yeah. Washington uh, Redskins cheerleader, um, it was the same thing. It was actually, I think, a third or fourth flu shot that she had. So sometimes it's an additive 
synergistic type of uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a piling on scenario. And I've heard people, right. you know, that that because some have read the study that indicated that like five sh- flu shots in a row, each five years in a row, increases your risk of, of Alzheimer's uh, by tenfold, some have said. But then they say, well, I don't think there's any aluminum in there. It's like, well, there's mercury in there, which is way more neurotoxic than aluminum. Right, absolutely. But, of course, they can't. You know, mercury is a politically incorrect word, so as long as you use anything else, you're good to go. You use mercury, it's, you know, like using, it's like using, um, well, I won't say the type of words, but it's politically incorrect. Let's just say it, keep it that. <laughs> Okay. Well, we're good. Well, this this case, they're claiming that this ten year old was diagnosed with a rare viral infection of the brain called acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, or ADEM. Is that their way of distracting from vaccine damage due to flu shot? Okay. Let's let's dissect what those words mean. Okay. Again, we have our own language to confuse everybody. So let's go with the let's dissect this diagnosis down. Let's go for the first word. What's the first word? Well, the the first word is acute. Acute. So acute means something that is rapid onset, right? Sudden onset, that, right, right? Not chronic. It just suddenly comes on. Then they say disseminated. Right. Disseminated, as in, that's not so much a medical term, but disseminated means that, you know, again, Robert, I'm not in this video. I'm just making sure everybody understands. Disseminated is to be, it's spread out. It's, it's all throughout the whole system. I mean, in this right. case, the brain. Okay. Yep. And then we have the big word, encephalomyelitis. Okay, so encephalo encephalopathy encephalo basically means it's referring to the brain myelitis itis is always inflammation of and the myelin the the first part myelitis myelitis referring to the myelin sheath so it's a inflammatory cascade of the insulative component of the neurons of the brain that's widely disseminated and that was of acute onset that was rapid onset that's all that is that's all they're saying that it is here's the rule Whenever there's more than three words used to describe a medical condition with a diagnosis, it basically means that it is a what we call a um, idiopathic ideology. Idiopathic, yeah. Idiopathic ideology is a it's, it's a it's a medical term. Term idiopathic ideology means of unknown cause. Ideology means cause. Idiopathic means unknown. Okay, so I don't know whether the word Idiot comes from idiopathic, or idiopathic comes from the word. Well, idiot. it should. I mean, the right. thing is, they are idiots for not knowing what does it. But then again, I suspect that they know. If not cognitively, intellectually, they know in their gut something is horribly wrong, and they've caused it. And their idiopathic description is trying to keep them from that reality, which is why a lot of doctors are taking drugs just to sleep at night. But not here, not now, not ever, not with Dr. Rasha Bittar on Advanced Medicine. The Medical Rewind. We continue with this discussion and questions of the day after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Hello. Numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. You're amazing. Oh, you are something else. Robert Scott Bell. Bell. He has both style and substance. Robert Scott Bell. 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 How much power do talk radio hosts really have? This is transformational, and it's awesome. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. 
Well, it still feels an hour later than it than it is based on the daylight savings time. But you know what's keeping me awake? It, it's it's the caffeine of Dr. Batar firing me up. And we talking idiopathic uh, diagnoses after flu shot. Be careful whenever there's any like three names to a disease. It's like three names become an assassin, like Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, and you know acute flaccid paralysis. That's another one of those things that, they, that they've said post-polio shot, right? Suddenly acute facet paralysis is not caused by the shot, much less the paralysis caused by the flu shot, which we talked about acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. And yeah, these types me. of uh, diagnoses are so rampant, Robert. I remember I had this uh, young girl that opened the Republican National Convention during Bush's first election, she came on the stage and she sang the national anthem and she opened up the whole convention and uh, she came out on crutches and a very pretty 17-year-old, 18-year-old girl and they brought her to me because she had a diagnosis of acute demyelinating polyneuropathy. Again, one of these, you know, you like, you like the way that they put the acute or the chronic if it's part of the diagnosis, you know, so that it can, it sounds more. Well, the, lo- uh, the longer it is, the less questions you'll get from a layperson exactly. about it, and they'll exactly. be, wow, that's exactly. really, yeah, exactly. The, the, the direct correlation, the inverse correlation, yeah, that's right. The, the longer the name, the less the questions that are asked, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was another one of these types of things. If you start to break down the words and start seeing, I mean, they, all they're doing is they're describing their findings, they're describing their observations. And, you know, let, let's put it this way. I could say, I could say um, acute, uh, explosive, um, you know, I, okay. I was going to try to be funny, but I'm not as good as Super Don. Is, <laughs> Super know, Don the, can fill in the blanks on that one. I, I yeah, think, come uh, up with like something with diarrhea. You know, explosive, ex, you know, <laughs> acute explosive. You uh, know, coffee. Co- here it is. Here it is. Coffee animitis. Yeah. <sighs> well, no. Acute. Here it is. Acute. Uh, <laughs> <of> <laughs> explosive. Uh, intro. Bowel evacuation. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Col- that, colonic evacuation. Right, and that <laughs> describes something very apparent, but now that it's got a, a three-letter uh, or three-word name, it's a diagnosis, and you have to go to the doctor for treatment. And again, we're being a little facetious, but you get the, the point. Um, mm-hmm. It's this diagnosis of this uh, my acute um, disseminated encephalomyelitis, it, it's just a very nonspecific, general, descriptive diagnosis, and... Um, I may even have some more information. I'm not at the liberty say right now, but uh, sure. I'll talk to you about that off the air. But right, right. Well, we'll follow up if it's appropriate. But but here's the thing: somebody comes in with this, you know, you know it came from the flu shot. You know the mercury's playing a big role here. You go through the advanced medicine protocols. You detoxify the mercury. You you know you you replenish. It's all in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. All the different aspects of this. And and then you see recovery, whereas the rest of the medical crowd just blames a virus as they're trying to claim that this is a viral cause. And that's the key part to remember, that cause, I guess you could say indirectly that it's viral. Let me explain why mm-hmm. I said that, Robert, before you, sure. before you get up in a roar. Because I know that <laughs> you know, those words are going to be alien to you, So, but you're a lot calmer than I am, so... <laughs> the reason I said that it could be, you could say that it's indirectly related to a virus is that humans are a viral system. If it wasn't for virus, we wouldn't have evolved. And it's actually human-induced. So if we are on the planet, we've evolved because of the, the 
DNA, RNA, viral replication, um, then, you know, we are a viral system. If we were a viral system, then we caused this actually to occur. This is not virus-induced. This is human-induced. It's human-induced from our actions by recreating and allowing and um, bastardizing and ruining our environment. And, and when I say our environment, I'm not just talking about the field and the sky and all this. I'm talking about even our internal environment, what we eat, how we, how we sustain ourselves, what we breathe, what we drink, our, right. our entire environment, our external and internal environments, and we have changed the environmental triggers. And that is, this comes back to that point that that nutritionist was making three or four weeks ago when she was talking about the natural antidote to Ebola. And I said, look, this is not a natural issue. And so you cannot expect a natural uh, uh, response. You can't expect a natural cure, if you want to use the word cure, or a natural way of getting rid of an unnatural uh, situation. For example, mercury toxicity in the body, the way we get it, which is besides inhalation, you're, you're injecting it in there, you're, you're um, inhaling it, you're consuming it. Right, it's a it. very unnatural so, interaction with the environment it, that occurs. Exactly. There's no natural way that mercury is injected into the body in an organic form that's ethyl or methyl or, you know, phenol or whatever. So when you're dealing with an unnatural exposure of an unnatural substance, because ethyl mercury is not found in nature. Methyl mercury is, but not ethyl mercury. So now when you're dealing with something that's not naturally found, how can you expect a natural substance to be out there that's going to work? You know, EDT exactly. and DMPS are two chemicals that I use. These are synthetic chemicals. There's nothing natural about them, but they go into the body and they come out the same way. They're inert. They don't change anything. The body can't consume it, and it pulls out some of these metals, some of these toxic substances. This is just an example with, with the chelator, but in any of these things that we deal with, where ozone, for example, is not normally introduced. There's nothing natural about introducing ozone, which is very toxic, into the bloodstream. There's nothing natural about it. Yes, one of the most therapeutic, beneficial things that the body can uh, actually undergo yeah. When you've had chemical exposure, virus, bacteria, DNA adducts, you know, mutated cells, whatever, yes. it's not natural, but it works because it's allowing the system to come back to its natural set point, and that's right. the key. Well, and Dr. Batar, I'm pretty hardcore on the natural. You know me for many years, but at the same point, I acknowledge exactly what you're saying here. We've got an unnatural, overwhelming burden that has never existed any, anywhere in, in recorded history, uh, unnaturally brought into the body, and these are extraordinary things we have to do to recover these children, much less adults who are harmed in this way. So we don't dispute the idea that we are naturally oriented, but we're recognizing that we're triaging people back to health to where they can even function on that level again. Right. I think that the, the most accurate way of saying it is that we want to establish the body's natural balance, and we will exploit that... Um, we, we will exploit that unnatural imbalance mm -hmm. uh, to our maximum ability using whatever we can to reestablish the natural balance. That's really yeah. what it is. It's not using natural therapeutics necessarily. If I can't find something that's natural that's as effective or better, I'm going to use it. But here's the thing. It's not the use of something natural. It's the reestablishment. Our destination is mm -hmm. to reestablish that, that natural balance. Exactly. And with that, let's go to our question of the day for you, Dr. Batar. Uh, this is coming from someone named Lare, L-A-R-E. Uh, hi, Robert. I would love to hear what you and Dr. Batar have to say about psoriasis and parasites, although she says separate issues. My husband has tried uh, so many things to clear up the psoriasis, 
going on a great diet, whatever that might be, doing liver, gallbladder flushes, clean water, infrared sauna, no toxins, etc., to no avail. Now, I, I will say as a homeopath, this is one of the more difficult things to address, uh, and it's a miasm as well, but there is always the toxicological component. And then this woman also gets into the parasites, but I don't know which one you want to tackle first. Well, whichever one you want, Robert, I'm, I'm getting either way. All right. Well, have you had many patients over the years with psoriasis? There's a bear poop in the woods. <laughs> okay, good. And and was there anything unusual about it other than the normal, let's clear the terrain, let's get the metals out, let's give the body what it needs and look at the response while the psoriasis goes away? You know, let me, let, let me before I answer that, let me just make a little interesting observation. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that you said that this was a more difficult thing to deal with. I'm, I'm really surprised to hear you say that. Because in my experience, psoriasis has been one of the easiest things to deal with. One of well, the easiest. Well, fact, homeopathically, historically, I'm speaking in terms of that, right? But uh, okay. for the homeopaths okay. in the audience, they'll know what I'm talking about, but not when we talk about some of these things. So go ahead. Okay, so let's get rid of your homeopathic hat right now, and let's put on your, your uh, terrain hat for a second, which really, uh, both hats can be worn at the same time, but let's just put on your terrain hat. And now answer that question. Do you think that psoriasis is a difficult issue to deal with? No, absolutely not. No, I and I've, exactly. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it clear in in sometimes less than a day when you can rapidly reduce it. I mean, it's not often it happens that quickly, but they're shocked by how fast it does because, as this woman says in her husband's case, nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be working because they haven't done the right thing. That's really mm-hmm. why it hasn't been working. Exactly. I, mean, I, I personally. Uh, when I was in general surgery, I had severe, severe psoriasis to the point that it was affecting my legs, um, my, my chest, my side, my left side of my entire body it was just psoriatic. I mean, this, I, you know, they were, they were going to prescribe all sorts of steroids and this and that. Psoriasis, I mean, it, it's literally, if you want to make it a case for the terrain, how important the terrain is, I would use psoriasis as an example of how significant, mm-hmm. like let's say that we were, we were put on a different planet, okay? And we had this philosophy that we said that we have a solution to all disease. And the alien uh, life form that was there would ask us to prove it. The way I would prove it, to show how effective this is, the, the, the disease that I would use would be psoriasis and show it by just changing the train how, how, significantly, uh, of a, how significant of an impact you can have in a short period of time. Now, the reason that a lot of times people fail it's not mm-hmm. because the philosophy is inherently flawed or because, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's because the person, the individual, is not willing to do what's necessary on a sustained basis. They do it for five days, <laughs> they start getting better, then they stop. Why do they stop? Because well, why, do I even, why do I even have to show up to do a show with you? I, I, exactly. That's exactly. You know, I, say, I was going to say the real difficulty, going full circle to that, the homeopaths, is that the patient is unwilling to do what it takes to get there consistently enough to make it happen because these are inherited predispositions. We call them miasms, but they never have to manifest. And there's also emotional stress components, and you talk about it in the nine steps to keep the doctor away as well. You know, the emotional aspect is, is a key aspect. It's actually an aspect of almost all disease, and yeah. you'll actually see that most prevalent in cancer. If I wanted to be able to demonstrate how significant the emotional issue is in pathology, I would use cancer as an example. I think yeah. we're going to come to a break here, but let's, let's carry I think this is a really important point, and I think the one word we should use for today's show 
Mm-hmm. The key word is consistency, and we'll talk about Con- that. Consistency. Coming up next, also in addressing parasites. So stick around. It is Advanced Medicine, and Dr. Batar is here, medicalrewind.com, if you ever miss a show. The Robert Scabell Show continues after this. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, keep checking the website at robertscottbell.com for upcoming events. If there's a, a, an advanced medicine seminar again, we will certainly be, you'll be the first to know here as well. Uh, we've got a couple of events coming up in Florida and Las Vegas, et cetera. And Dr. Batar, the, the word of the day, as you said, consistency, so critical, you know, to be on a path and to maintain that path as opposed to, well, three days on the path, you don't, you don't see much yet. Yeah, I mean, that, that destination, of course, should drive you if it's health that you want when you recognize that toxic poisons, as far as medicines go, at best they might get you out of a crisis very quickly, but right now they become the mainstay of medicine, which is why we do what we do. Right, exactly, Robert. Uh, that's exactly the, the point that I wanted to get across, is that sometimes the acute nature of things, people will run to the doctor, and the doctor will try to take care of that immediate issue. A lot of this happens to do with it happens to be more related to marketing. You know, when a person has a problem, they have a issue, they have a symptom, they go to the doctor. If the doctor doesn't get rid of that symptom, then the patient may go somewhere else. And so the whole model is to quickly fix the issue the person's having, regardless of whether you're really fixing it or just covering it up. In our society, I think that covering up the symptom equates to fixing the problem, and they are two completely diametrically opposed uh, solutions. One is actually a real solution when you deal with the cause and you get rid of it, versus the other one is just prolonging and perpetuating something, and it's just dealing with the symptom, but it's actually going to continue to get worse until you end up having the engine blow, or in this case, right. in a human being, maybe cancer or some of these things. So, you know, the consistency aspect is so imperative that an individual understands why they should be consistent. So to come back to the Nine Steps book, for example, I have had people that have used this book. In fact, we did a six-month study with about 70 people, and we saw uh, over 80%, I think it was 78%, almost almost 80%, 78% of the symptoms that these people were complaining of based upon a subjective SF36 patient outcome-based uh, questionnaire and we saw a reduction in their symptomology within six months, regardless of what it was, whether it's joint pain, high blood pressure, uh, blood sugar issues, you know, whatever the case was, headaches, etc. Almost uh, four out of five of their symptoms were alleviated or had resolved just by enacting those nine steps. Now, the funny thing was, at nine months to a year, some of these symptoms would start coming back. So now you think, oh, wait a second, is there, do these, these nine steps, do they have a refractory point where they only are effective mm-hmm. for so long? And then, you know, is this like cancer where you, you know, you're in remission and then boom, it, you know, and it's, uh, and it's returns? Or I mean, what is it, what's, what's the nature of this beast? And really, it comes down to exactly what we said before. It's the individual, it's the patient. So when you ask them the question, well, wait a second, what, what's happening? Well, my symptoms are coming back. Well, why are your symptoms coming back? Well, I don't know, but they're, they're coming back, and, and they're, they're slowly coming back, but they are coming back. So um, are you doing the, the fourth step? Are you doing exercise? Well, n- not as much as I was before. Okay, yeah. how about the third step? Are you drinking as much water? 
well, yeah, I'm still drinking water, but not quite as much. So you go through all these steps and you start asking them and you start finding a pattern that they're not doing it as well as they were doing it initially. And right. then you ask them, why are you not doing it? And the invariable answer, it's almost always the same. Well, because I got better. I got better. I, I felt was, good again, right? For, I neglected. Good, so, I, so, so I stopped doing it. And now <laughs> when you stop doing it, all of a sudden it starts coming back. You know, it's, again, the journey and it's not a destination. Consistency mm-hmm. is the name of the game. As long as you do it, you're going to continue getting better. I can't tell you how many times in my practice, today I said, I said this three different times, it's not like you can exercise once and reap the benefits for the rest of your life. You can't do your oil change in your car one time and expect never have to do another oil change in your car. It's a right. consistent every 3,000-mile oil change. It's a consistent every 48-hour workout. It's a consistent action that reaps the results. There's an old adage, once difficult, now easy. And no matter how difficult something is, if you keep on doing it, it becomes easy because of repetition. And that's the key. You must be consistent in whatever you do. And when I got started, you know, 24, 25 years ago in holistic health and homeopathy, I I really came to understand this. It's an oversimplification, but when you understand the function of that liver, you'll say the difference between relief of symptoms and healing comes back to the liver. What does that mean symbolically? It means that detoxification. It means the cleaning up of your diet and lifestyle, living differently. You know, the laws for living, which are, you know, listed so well in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And if people understood and read their uh, even religious texts, the indications would be there to do that. But we've kind of lost how that language applies to today. All right, well, Dr. Batar, we maybe hit the parasite issue uh, another time next week, perhaps, but I appreciate you being with me as always. It's a blast when we get together. It is, Robert. I enjoyed myself. And Super Don has no edge in when we get together, so what can we do? But we thank you, Super Don, as well. <laughs> OG. Thank All right, you. well, for now, the message is, Dr. Batar, tell him. The power to heal is yours. Absolutely. The Robert Scott Bell Show.